Welcome to the Common Sense Podcast. I'm Christopher Scott, author of the book on Common Sense and host of the Christopher Scott Show. It's the podcast for all the people who have better things to do than sift through all the political nonsense. Let's get started. Common Sense by Thomas Paine. There's a little book, one little book that changed the world. How does that happen? How could one little book have such a big impact? The book, in case you don't know, is Common Sense by Thomas Paine. What was so profound about it? By the end of 1776, it's estimated that one in five Americans had read Common Sense by Thomas Paine. No other book has ever reached so many people so quickly. No other book has had such a profound impact on a country. No other book has had such a profound impact on the principles of freedom and proper government. Now, maybe you never heard of Common Sense by Thomas Paine, but that doesn't change the fact that it remains today the best-selling American title of all time. What was it about? Why was it important? How did it impact America? And why would anybody care today? The book, at its core, is a call for independence from Great Britain. Most people know that. Not everybody does. That was the purpose of the book, to convince the colonists that independence was necessary. But here's the interesting thing about all that. At that time, the Declaration of Independence had already been signed, and the Revolutionary War was already underway. So why was the book needed? Why would it be necessary to convince people for the cause of independence if the Declaration had already been signed and the Revolutionary War had already begun? The simple answer is division. The country was very divided. It's been said that half the people living in the colonies didn't want independence. That's a shocking fact for people who, that don't know it. But it's true. Of course there, there was a reason they felt this way. In essence, they were afraid. They felt that remaining a colony of Britain would provide safety and security that they otherwise wouldn't have. And you know that fear is a powerful motivator. And the people that wanted to remain loyal to Britain were well convinced that it was the right thing to do. So there was this difference of opinion. One side wanted freedom, the other side wanted what they believed to be safety and security. That's what it was all about. That's what the difference of opinion was. One side wanted freedom, the other side wanted safety and security. And that's why this book was so important. It made the case for freedom, acknowledging both sides of the argument. Thomas Paine made the case in plain language and simple arguments. He also explained why. Huge. There's a real power in common sense. If you're interested in the philosophy of common sense and what it can do for you, or the book Common Sense by Thomas Paine, be sure to visit thebookoncommonsense.com for articles and information about my books. The links for that are in the show notes below. The book on common sense explains how to get common sense, what it means, and some of the best advice you'll ever get. And my book, Common Sense, The Retold Story of Common Sense by Thomas Paine, is translated into modern English so anyone can understand it. It's the best way to read it, and it's something that should be required reading for everyone. You can get more information about both books as well as my future books at thebookoncommonsense.com. He created understanding, and that's what makes Common Sense by Thomas Paine so effective even today. That's one of the reasons I believe it's still a very important book, so that we can understand why our government is the way it is, so that we can understand why certain principles are so important to the Founding Fathers. 
why there needs to be a proper limitation of government, why the Constitution says the things it does. So even today, this is very important reading. The book's divided into six sections. Number one, the introduction, which is essentially a letter. The second is the origin and design of government. And I'll tell you, it's not maybe not a very exciting topic, but he does an incredibly eloquent job of laying it out in a way that keeps the reader interested. Number three was monarchy and hereditary succession. Another topic that you wouldn't necessarily look for on a Friday night, but he also makes that entertaining and interesting. Then in number four, he talks about the state of American affairs at the time. This was very important. People were questioning the timing. Some people, some people didn't want independence at all. Some people thought it wasn't the right time. And so he addressed that head on too. Number five, he talked about the capabilities of America. And this is a message that I think about a lot, even as it relates to today. And number six, he talked about a topic that has gotten very skewed today. The separation of church and state which was added to the second printing. And I think that the way we talk about that today is not the way he talked about it then. It's, it's Thomas Paine talking about the origin of government, which is a very important thing to understand, to really understand how government works. He begins by acknowledging the differences of opinion on the matters that he's writing about. He goes on to say that its, it's purpose is, to, is principles, not to attack anyone but he also emphasizes the importance of the matter. Here's what he says. This book is about principles. Its purpose is not to attack or compliment any person or people. Wise and worthy people don't need a book to support their beliefs. And those who lack a sense of justice or are unfriendly will remain unconvinced until the pain of their decision changes their mind. He lays out the reasons why we need government in the first place. I don't think that's something that a lot of people think about. Even though he cautions that government is a necessary evil, he acknowledges its necessity. He even recognizes the reasons why monarchies are popular. It's almost as if he's a time traveler and he recounts the history of civilization and points to the future. He says, this is the origin and rise of government. In other words, government is a system required by the inability of people to individually cooperate for the fairness of everyone. This is the basic design and downfall of government. That is freedom and security. And no matter how idealist such a conclusion might seem, basic human nature will eventually prove it true. He uses historical accounts and his observations to point out flaws in the English form of government. And those flaws are, are a barrier to justice. He uses that point to then address the issue of monarchy and hereditary succession in general. He says there's another distinction among people that has no truly natural or religious reason. That between kings and subjects. Male and female are the distinctions of nature. And good and bad are the distinctions of heaven. But how a race of men came into the world so exalted above the rest, like some new species, is worth discussing. As is whether they are the means of happiness for humankind, or the misery of humankind. He says, in the early ages of the world, according to biblical history, there were no kings. As a result, there were no wars. The pride of kings that throws humankind into confusion and chaos. 
Holland, which doesn't have a king, has enjoyed more peace for this last century than any of the monarchical governments in Europe. A look back on history supports this argument. The first patriarchs had happy, quiet, rural lives that vanished with the arrival of Jewish royalty. All of this assumes the idea that kings have some noble, honest origin, when more than likely, if we were to trace the monarchy back to its origins, we'd find that it all began with a gang of thieves who wanted to increase their power and ability to take more. They probably saw an opportunity to offer safety to quiet and defenseless people in exchange for frequent contributions back to them. The people who supported these early kings could never have imagined the idea of giving hereditary right to his descendants because such a perpetual exclusion of themselves was incompatible with the free and unrestrained principles they professed to live by. Hereditary succession in the early stages of monarchy wasn't so much a demand as it was something mutually beneficial. There aren't any records from that time, so it's impossible to say for sure. But it's clear that after a few generations, lies began to take hold as fact. Therefore, when the king was near death and people grew nervous, a solution was offered to make succession orderly. It seemed like an easy solution, and it was convenient. Then it became a right. At this point in the book, he's drawn attention to the natural origin of government, and, and, and superbly identified the evil nature of monarchy. But he still needs to convince the average citizen that they will gain from independence, that somehow their lives will be better if they give up the safety and security that Britain provided. In this section, he draws attention to the risks associated with remaining loyal to Britain. He says, the sun never shines on something more important than this. This is not an affair of a city or country or state or even a kingdom, but that of a continent, at least one-eighth of the entire planet. This is not a concern of a day or a year or an age. Generations will be impacted by this fight and will be affected until the end of time by what happens now. This is the beginning of a new nation, a union of faith and honor. The smallest defect now will be like a name engraved with the point of a pin on a young oak sapling. As the tree grows, the defect will grow bigger and generations will feel its impact. Now the debate has escalated to all-out war. It's a new era of politics. Everything discussed prior to the start of the war is like an almanac from last year. It was useful then, but completely useless now. Whatever disagreements there were, whatever arguments were made, there was one issue of whether to remain united with Britain. There were two ways this could be achieved either by force or by friendship. The first option has failed, and the, section has, the second has been withdrawn from the debate. A lot has been said about the advantages of reconciliation, but that is a long-lost dream. To that end, we should discuss the contrary side of the argument and the negative impact on the colonies now and in the future if we remain connected and independent on Great Britain. We should examine that connection and independence in the context of common sense to see what we can expect if we separate from Britain and what we can expect if we remain dependent on Britain. The most powerful arguments of all, though, is that nothing but independence can keep peace and preserve us 
unpolluted from constant conflict. I dread the thought of reconciliation with Britain now, because it's more than likely it would just lead to a revolt somewhere else, and the consequences could be far more destructive than the revenge of Britain. The real reason some people fear independence is that plans have not been finalized. Some people can't see the vision. However, I offer a few hints arising out of my opinion that it will give rise to something better. If we, if we collected the various ideas of many individuals, it would provide the material for wise men to turn into something great. Then he goes on to lay out a very detailed vision of what a new form of government could look like. And much of what he described is exactly what we have today. And what I just read to you is a large part of the foundation of all that. But he still has to convince the reader that it's possible, that this idea of independence is realistic, that it's achievable. He does that by describing in great detail the abilities of America. He describes how the new country can build commerce, a strong military, and how it will flourish. That was the end of the original printing. After that first printing, the Revolutionary War was well underway and a new problem developed. There was uh, opposition from certain religious groups. And an addendum was added to the second printing, which dealt with the issue of separation of church and state. He made a powerful argument that religious affiliation did not mean the individual relinquished their representation to the religious leaders. It was such an important issue that it was included in the Constitution. And the arguments that we see today in regard to separation of church and state have little to do with the original meaning. The section of common sense that I share here today are from my book, Common Sense by Christopher Scott. It's the retold story of common sense by Thomas Paine, translated in modern English. Unlike the original manuscript written 250 years ago, it's impossible to comprehend the old English. The new version is written in modern English and can be understood by everyone. Whether you read the free original manuscript or my new translated version, you'll be glad you did. It's a fantastic book. Thanks for listening today. I hope you'll also check out my podcast, The Christopher Scott Show. You can get that on iTunes and most podcast players or at ChristopherScottShow.com. Make it a great day.